Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, yeah, another, another, well, another interesting day at the Giro, mm. um, and joining us to try and make sense of it all, Pepper York. Pleasure Hello. to have you back. Well, I back, don't Pepper. know if I'm going to add any sense to the proceedings. We're the only one here who's finished on the podium, so you're going to yes. have to try. It's worth, worth mentioning straight away, 1987, with 10 days preparation. Second on the podium. Best climber. And, and the climber's jersey, which was, it wasn't, it was a green jersey at the time, right? It was yeah. a green jersey. And when it got wet, it weighed a ton. So, um, yeah. Well, we'll come on to that. Almost happy days. So first, today's stage, stage 16 to Cortina D'Ampezzo, it was supposed to be 212 kilometers. It was supposed to be the queen stage of the race, uh, the Chimacopi, the highest point, four huge climbs because of the weather that we were all excited about yesterday, Brad, and, and what a spectacle that, that might provide for us. It meant that, well, even the helicopters and planes that covered no. the race didn't have permission to take off this morning. No coverage, we? Um, so we were looking at possibly a dangerous day for the riders, a massive change in the parkour, 2,000 metres of climbing stripped from the route, the Fadaya and the, the Paso Pordoi uh, both removed, and 212 kilometres became 153. Yeah. However, we still saw, as we thought we would, some action on the GC. Yeah, um, it was quite explosive, wasn't it? And Burnell looks like he sealed the race, barring injury, um, any catastrophes, you know, crashes, things like that. Um, you know, I wonder what it would have been like having the, the whole route today. Yeah, well, so, I wonder what it was like at all. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, it was very cold out there. You saw the riders were wrapped up. Even Burnell taking his rain cape off into the last couple of hundred meters. It was interesting to see the interview with Hugh Carthy this morning. He looked the most disappointed, actually. I think they were really planning. They 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 did action, a plan on the road, and and put it into fruition that that um, to try and win the race. And apparently, from what I've heard, Hugh Carthy woke up this morning and said, "Today's the day we win the Giro." Mm. So they had well, we big can plans do it today, and, boys. Um, yeah. So the race is by no means over, but there was a big statement from um, from Egan Bernal. And he even said in his post-race interview, didn't he? Um, I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. Pippa, you were on comms today for Eurosport and GCN Plus. How, how was that, not knowing exactly what was going on, I presume? Maybe you did, um, but it was certainly a mystery to those of us watching for, for much of the time. So to be able to try to piece the race together while you, were, while you were trying to call it, how was that as an experience? It's quite difficult. You know, you're trying to get information from social media and all the channels that are available, and you're hoping for updates from, you know, from Twitter or Facebook or, you know, various team staff that are on the race, you know, might put something out on, on one of the social media channels. And then when there's no images, you, well, what can you say? You can just kind of come up with banalities and stuff and, and kind of guess what's happening. But, you know, as it turned out, it, it was an epic day. 
Absolutely epic day. It was a huge Bernal attack, Brad, as you mentioned, that that won it. We didn't see the decisive move, but this is how Rob Hatch called it for us on Eurosport and GCN+. Emerging from our black spot, emerging from the darkness, down the mountain, out of the mist, and ready to show off his colours is the Maya Rosa. It's Egan Bernal who's going to win a high mountain stage of a Grand Tour. Up there in the Dolomites, those pink-tainted mountains belong to the pink jersey. He's had a wrap up to get round, get that coat off, show off that jersey, because it is truly yours. Time to celebrate, time to look right, prettier in pink than ever before. Here comes Egan Bernal, winner of a mysterious, mighty, hard stage 16 of the Giro. So Brad, Rob said on comms, it was the day that we saw Bernal emerge from the mystery of the mountain, almost. Um, real classy, yeah. uh, real classy ride, obviously, but a nice little touch at the end there to take, to have the presence of mind after such an exhausting day. I mean, we saw the faces of some of the guys coming in today. Real classy touch to have the presence of mind to take off your rain cape, stuff it in your, stuff it in your jersey yeah. pocket. Um, and cross the line. Well, I think do, that do was the Jersey for him. justice. That was yeah. for him more than anyone. It wasn't to to honour the race or anything like that. I think just a you know a statement: winning in pink, laying down the gauntlet. Interestingly, he put his rain jacket up his back of his jacket. He's probably only got one rain jacket. You don't want to lose that, do you? At this stage of the race, because <laughs> no, you'll know, need that washed and go straight back into his wet bag. Because non people think that they get unlimited kit and you can just throw it mm. away, but you don't. You know, you, you, you want your rain jacket because it'd be tailor made to him as well. Yeah, they tailor made them now. They don't the PVC jackets you used to have you know, with the <laughs> clear see through plastic perspex. The thing is, if 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 he'd been Italian, he would have done the classic thing and thrown it away. If he'd have thrown it away, though, would he not have been? Would have been a range penalized? Would he not have been yeah, penalized? But, yeah, my, is that, is that count, does that count as littering in the same way that then? I don't know. You're actually. only allowed to discard your, your bead on Who at certain there? points in the race. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, I thought it was a, uh, it was just class, wasn't it, for him? And I think that was a statement for him, really, individually. Um, we don't know what the politics are within the team. Obviously, Grant Thomas is going to lead the team at the tour. But now was almost demoted from that position, really, after his injuries last year. So mm. it shows you how cutthroat it is, you know, from the heights of winning the tour two years ago to, to being given, you know, the Giro as a kind of, you know, second prize, really, which is how it looks in cycling and certainly is within that team because he will, him and G will want to win the second tour. Grant's won Romandie and looks well and truly on track to win a second tour. Mm. Um, so when he says that's you know, my statement and I'm back, you know, was that, is that to the peloton? I wouldn't think he would actually, but for himself and within the team as well. Pippa, what did you make of Bernal's performance today? He looked stressed now and again, but not from the not from the pace the riders imposed upon him. You know, more from the weather. He looked more concerned with that. But when you know when the the crunch time came and. EF placed everybody under a bit of pressure. He never looked that bothered about it. You know, he, he was clearly had the reserves left to, to cope. And then when Danny Martinez took control after the last domestique pulled over, Simon Carr, I think it was, then he, they, he didn't even really accelerate. He never got out of the saddle. He looked so, like he so had some he, gas in the tank. So he just rode away there. from the other guys who were out the saddle behind him all fighting with their machine trying to get more speed out of it. Yeah. And he looked like he was just set in a tempo that he was happy with. And, and that was quite telling that he had that amount left in reserve to cope with whatever anybody else had to had to come with. Raymond Bardet, second place. Mm. 
at 27 seconds with he rode in with Damiano Caruso. About time we saw something from Bardet. Yeah, up to seventh now on GC as well. It was a big day out. He looked exhausted at the finish. I mean, mm. he looked a, he looked a complete contrast to um, Egan Bernal, who was sort of fist pumping the spectators. And you know, Bernal looked like he could have gone on for another 60k. You know, mm. he was that strong. And Hugh Carthy and those guys, they looked some shattered bodies at the finish there. It doesn't leave much to play for for the last week. I can't see anyone challenge him other than Hugh Carthy because of the commitment from that Education First team. And they look like a team that are willing to try and win this race rather than finish on the podium, which is what we're going to want as spectators mm. watching it. We've got some real, well, the, the the sharp end of the race, the real high mountain stages now um, coming towards the end uh, next weekend. Can we see Bernal doing the same, a similar thing, not the same thing, to uh, Ghana for Ineos last year and winning four stages? He's got the opportunity now. He's yeah, I think two. he probably will. I mean, that last week is brutal, the last couple of days, and uh, you can't see anyone challenging him other than the breakaway. You know, I think from that group, he's just, anytime he puts the, the acceleration down on the mountain, he distances everyone. And he's got, you know, money to spare when it does that. Really, he's not. Simon Yates, we thought might challenge him after Zonkalan, but he, he went backwards today. Um, so, yeah, I can't see anyone. Four minutes and 20 behind on GC now, Simon Yates, Pippa. What has he got to do this week to bring this back? Can he bring it back? Or do you think, I mean, you were saying... His body language today makes it look like he's 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 done. He's finished. It was strange because you know the the first half of the race he was inconsistent, and there was that kind of temptation to think he was riding to a certain level to keep a bit for the last week and the, these last kind of five climbing stages. And Zonkalan he hinted at that, but today he just didn't have it. You know, and and they never really took so bike exchange. I think tried to take control of the race for a little bit, but it just it just never happened. And Simon started to pass with Jiao in a kind of reasonable shape. He was still able to get out the saddle and kind of follow the little micro accelerations you get as you go further and further up a mountain, and, and guys peel off and and the tempo changes slightly. But then it reached a point where he was just stuck in the saddle, and then that was his tempo to the to the end, and. Obviously, he lost almost three minutes today, and it wasn't enough. And I, given his past performances and what he's been saying, he's had a few physical problems. I don't see that changing very much. I think you know, if, if he's lucky, he'll stay in the first five. And if if he de deteriorates even further, then you know he might be lucky to stay in the first ten. Brad Hugh Carthy, by contrast to Simon Yates, still has the riders around him. You feel like he needs. Uh, to do something still in this race to to podium to possibly still challenge Bernal if he can start to take some no, time. No, I mean back. I think he'll podium if he if he hovers around there for sure. But he seems to have got they've a good strong team that will are willing to commit for for Hugh. And I think that stems from Charlie Regalius. You know, Charlie that they, they want to win the race. So I don't think they're riding for a podium per se. But um, I just I've, I'm a, I'm a position now where I see I can't see anything that anyone can do that will dislodge Bernal because even when he's isolated and short of teammates. He'll just attack, and no one can really ride with him. And I fear for the rest of the race. And the thing with that is, is that EF have obviously come to the race with confidence in Carthy. Yeah, absolutely. And that Hugh Carthy's going looks like he's going to finish on the podium quite comfortably, mm. even though they're not winning the race. They're, they're putting their riders in the position where they gain that experience of are actually challenging for the Grand Tour, which changes the whole kind of feel of the the, the, the squad and gives them all confidence in what they're doing. So for, even though, you know, they come up against a Bernal who's clearly a step up, seems to be a step above everybody else, 
the fact that they're actually, you know, taking the race to them gives them a massive amount of confidence. Damiano Caruso sitting second place on GC at two minutes 24 for yeah. Bahrain. Uh, first of all, fair play to Bahrain Victorious. They've done brilliantly after losing their main Canada, man. Yeah. 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 Um, can he maintain it? I think he can. I mean, he's almost like we don't really talk about him much, do we, on the TV? And that he's just sort of hovering there and he's an old rider. He's been around a long time and yeah, you almost forget he's second. I was having to think earlier who's second on GC. It's, um, we were, there was all the talk of the other Italian in that top 10, Ciccone, the other week. Um, and how, you know, this is his first time doing GC. He's fallen away quite a bit. But um, Caruso, yeah, he's, um, he's not someone I would have mentioned at the start. Definitely not. We were talking about Simon Yates and the like, but can he maintain it? I mm. don't know. He's looking like the one who possibly can, really. Mm. The start of today, Pippa, I think you mentioned on commentary that it was you, you, need, you really need commitment and, and to be able to maintain your morale as a rider to be yeah. able to get through a stage like this. And it's much easier, firstly, if you're in the, if you're in the front group because you've, you've kind of got the camaraderie of the guys around you. You've all got that same purpose of trying to stay away. But for the guys at the back of the race... Brad, I think you mentioned that you spoke to Peter Sagan, maybe about something else via Sean Yates. Sean Yates filmed Peter Sagan out of the car talking to me. Yeah. Still, I love that he still had time to do that. Or yeah. had the, the he was energy in the to do that on a day jowl. like today. Yeah. 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 But sorry, Pippa, I sort of yeah. ran away from the question I began to ask you. Yeah, when, when the thing is, when it, it's such bad weather and when you're in amongst all that spray and rubbish coming up from the guys in front, you go into this place in your head where you feel lonely, you know, and it's, it's it's really depressing when you start getting cold and you're soaked through and it's you're frozen and you feel so lonely even though you're surrounded by everybody you know and you know everybody nobody's talking and uh, and it's quite hard to stay motivated in, in that case so for guys like Hugh Carthy to, to still be motivated then and still you know follow the plan and go through with it is is, is quite telling. Was it the right decision by the organisers to make such a, a change to the parkour today fitted for the safety of the riders? Well, I think it's becoming, that's becoming um, the norm now, isn't it? Anytime there's any sort of threat of um, dangerous conditions. But it's those dangerous conditions that have given us such great stories over the years. It's why people love the Giro. So we're going away from that a bit now. And um, it's a shame because we're losing those, you know, epic kind of, there was nothing really epic about today other than Bernal lighting it up. Mm. But in terms of pictures and things, which we didn't even get, we, it seems, you know, the last time I can remember was um, to Chimi de Labredo in um, 2013 when Nibali won in the snow. Mm. And it, it's a shame, really. I don't know. What do you think, Pippa? I know when I rode in 87, there was a couple of grim days like today. Mm. Not, not as bad, not from the start, but there was a couple of times we went up a mountain into the cloud. It'd be raining in there and then on the descent, it kind of bit of hailstones and kind of rain with ice in it um, and it wasn't nice but you know it's a Giro you kind of put up with that stuff it's when you start the Giro you realise you know that that's what's in store for you isn't it well you you realise that it, it could be and you're kind of hoping it isn't yeah but then again you want to see those pictures of you riding past the snowbank yeah, yeah. Like, like you know so you've you see pictures of Merckx and, and Copy and all those kind of old yeah. you know the epic story of the riding through the snow and you think it'd be great when you do that, and, and you re and then when you're doing it, you realise how bloody cold it is, yeah. and and then you have to deal with the descent, mm. and it's freezing, and you think, well, okay, you know, it's a Giro, it's it's May, it could be really bad weather, or it could be sunny, and I think that's what we've seen here today. Unfortunately, the flat days have been the sunny days, and then we come to the mountains, and it's dreadful. The, those sort of epic moments as a rider, I've got to ask you both this: Do you have 
any photographs on your wall back home of like the the real epic moments, like you say, Pippa, of you in the snow, for example, or oh god, I, any pictures of me and cycling? I, I don't have any. If you come into my house, you wouldn't realise I was a cyclist before. But I, I have had people give me pictures of you know riding past the snow banks or, or the snow on the ground and those kind of stuff. So, and it, and when you when you're in that situation, you're aware that these are the times and the and I think we saw it today with with Bernard when he wanted to win in the in the pink jersey, and that's one of the reasons why he took his rain cape off because mm. he wants that picture and he wants that memory. Yeah, and that that will be the picture that goes out on all the newspapers, and you're aware as a rider in the situations that happen around about you that this is going to look really good or this is going to look, you know, this is the kind of picture you'll show you, your grandkids in 20, 30 years' time. That, yeah. that, that was the situation you were in and, the, you know, the, and the various kind of top riders before were in that position before and you've kind of reached that level. So you're aware as a, as a fan of what's, what's happening, but you're also aware as a rider the, the kind of historical moment that you're going through. I've got one picture in my house. It's a painting, a huge painting in my office of me sat in the throne after the Olympics. <laughs> Is this yeah. true? Or are yeah, you wanting me up? That's a true story, this one, yeah. <laughs> that's the only one. Who's it by? How, how big is it? It's um, about the size of the wall there, that picture on there. All oh, right, yeah. so we, we, yeah, we, we're talking... Very big. Yeah, it was hanging above a pub. It was above a pub called the King's Arms. Right. And I got given it. Where was the pub? Uh, the pub was near me in Lancashire. Yeah. That was online. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. I have got a painting, yeah. and it was above a pub. <laughs> I couldn't tell you which pub it was, but I have got it. Um, it was given to me. It's lovely. It's smashing. Bernal taking his moment today was was almost um, not quite payback, but for the opportunity that was taken away from him in his tour win in 2019, when the stage was cut short yeah. and cancelled. I felt like he was going to go on, if anyone was going to go on to win that stage. Well, I thought gonna G was going to win that stage in teen that year. Um, and I think... This is a better burn now than two years ago. Yeah. And I think the adversity he's faced and the hardship and the, the injuries and that, it's made him a tougher nut. Mm. He's, he's, um, he's a complete reflection. It, the, the person he is off the bike doesn't reflect the person he is on it. He's reminds me of Contador. He's got the bit between his teeth now and he's out to prove a point. Whereas mm. the burnout two years ago at the tour was just this young kid happy to be in the position he was in, having Geraint support him from the previous year. And I think it's... Um, He's a much better burnout to watch. Mm. He's got a bit of about him, which is great. You've got to have that as a bike rider. He's developed into the axe murderer. Yeah. You know, the, the, the guy that they show, you show one piece of weakness to as a rival and they, they just finish you off straight away. It doesn't matter if it's 50K or 150K from the finish. You know, they, they, they see that weakness in somebody else and, and they have that killer instinct, which you have to do if you want to win a Grand Tour. Mm. You think he's developed that over the past two years with the adversity he's had to face and with the, yeah. him having to come back from the back injury. We, like, we wondered at points whether he was ever going to, well, whether he would ever be capable of winning a Grand yeah. Tour again. Well, I think it's that point of taking, you take, he takes his chances when he can now. Mm. Because you might, you, I think he realises the fragility of it and that he might never get that opportunity again because we were talking two years ago at the Tour about him going on and winning seven Tours. And he suddenly realised that the sport is very fragile and, you know, you're only as good as your last race and, you know, his back, he probably wondered at times whether he was ever going to recover from that and whether it was going to be, you know, but he's, he's, it's, it's made him a harder harder rider because I think he appreciates what he's doing more now. Pepper? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, you have setbacks and it's, it's how you kind of deal with that and what you take from it. So he's probably learned just how hard he is. You know, 
you read a lot of stuff and it's probably best, even in my day, you could read a lot of negative stuff about when you have a bad performance. But nowadays it's instant and everybody has an opinion and you have to discount that and just ignore it or just, you know, basically swear at them in your head and think, well, that's not me. And I think he's probably had to learn that already for a, a, you know, coming from Colombia and coming to Europe, it's a different mentality here. There's a more playful kind of attitude to to cycling in Colombia than there is to. It's more of a business here, and he's probably learned that that's quite a harsh environment. What was your biggest setback? Because I remember, obviously, one up springs to mind for me. You know, when the stage winning the tour, when you went off, you went up with a deviation and missed the stage. Was that quite hard? No, I I'd say you know probably. Losing the tour, um, tour of Spain, the Vuelta in '85. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. And, yeah. and I and there's all those reactions and people saying, um, "Oh, you'll never come to Spain again." And I thought, well, that would be a stupid thing to do yeah. because this is a race I can win. So, and I looked at what was the next biggest race. So a bit like if you if you'd had a setback at the at the Tour de France and you look at it and you think, well, the next biggest race is the Dauphiné. Well, mm. in Spain, the next biggest race is um, La Volta in Catalonia. Yeah. So then I decided I would go to the Volta and I would win. And I did, just through pig-headedness, because I wasn't in great form. And I beat Sean Kelly, you know, so by about four or five seconds or something like that. So, But I, I did that just through mm. sheer pig-headedness of reading all these things that I was alleged to have said. You know, I wasn't going to come back to Spain. And I thought, well, that's just a silly yeah. thing to say. Was the crowd hostile during those races? Yeah, but, you know... You learn techniques to just take their energy and turn it into your own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you you become a as a as a a person, you become a worse person. You know, your character becomes even worse. You know, more selfish and more aggressive. But that's what you need to, as a rider. You know, if you're going to be one of the top riders, you have to have that horrible selfishness, aggression in you that people shout and scream at you and abuse you. And you just kind of go, okay, thanks. And off you go with even more anger in you. Do we feel like Benal's got that? Do we feel like Benal? Yeah. He's such a gentle guy off the well, bike. Well, I think that's what I mean. I don't think it reflects his demeanor off the bike, the yeah. Benal on it. And that interview at the end, just him saying, I'm back, you know, it was a statement. Yeah. And, and he hadn't he hadn't cooled down yet and he hadn't had time to think about no, what he was going to no. say. And pr if you did that same interview 13 minutes later, you would get a very different, more kind of thoughtful response. Yeah, the anger that he showed across the line in the slow-mo, if you mm. lip-read him in Spanish, he's saying... <laughs> which is... <laughs> Good. Well, Egan Bernal's back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Egan Bernal's back. We'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show after this. Zwift is the world's training playground, Brad, where fun takes you further, recreating the outdoor feel of riding on an indoor trainer, something you can get on board with, I think. It does, yeah, and Zwift have done it very well, and they're now the leaders, aren't they, in that world, and um, they've got the likes of Geraint Thomas on board, and, you know, you can't get... Your old mate, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, they, they got, did some involvement with Team Wiggins a few years ago, we joined in one of their shops, Pinarello shop um, races one night, and... Mm. 
My son uses it. I watch him during the winter months. Um, it's something I wish I'd had when I was 15, definitely just to, from, a, from a safety point of view when you didn't want to let your kids out on the road in the dark. And, and anyone can use it. So, it, you know, you don't, yeah. have to, you don't have to be G, you don't have to be a pro. You can train with thousands of, of real train, people. Yeah. Like, you can train with anyone. You can ride with anyone um, from the world of pro cycling or from your workplace or school, whatever age you are. Brad, like you say, most of the pros on the World Tour train on Zwift. Yeah, hop on anytime, heart pumping, intense cycling, join group rides, events and worldwide races. Um, Zwift has nine worlds too, including the stunning Paris and France maps. They've recreated Tour de France stages, um, which gives everyone a chance to experience them. You don't have to have been Bradley Wiggins to experience what it's like to ride at the Tour de France. Uh, You can hit your kilometres with virtual dinosaurs, raging waterfalls, you can be inside a volcano, uh, James Bond-esque, a wide open California desert, plus you can tour London landmarks. All you need is a bike, trainer and Zwift app. Uh, you can get a free seven-day trial, Brad, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. Pippa, we mentioned it at the top, second place at the Giro in 1987, me and Brad, keen to, to delve into your memories of the race just a little bit more. First of all, as, as we said, you know, you went in at 10 days notice, not really prepared to ride, certainly not for GC. And, uh, and that's, that's pretty much how it turned out. Yes. So basically, I fell out big time with uh, Peter Post, the team manager at Tour de Romandy which kind of was an escalation of the ongoing friction between us that was developing. So I got sent to the Giro d'Italia in 87 to ride for Phil Anderson, who was a designated team leader. And on the first stage, Eric Brookings attacked and took the pink jersey. Phil Anderson finished second, I finished third. And I, I decided on the first day that I was going to do the climbers classification, just because I'd done the climbers the prize at um, the tour. And I thought, wouldn't it be good to be best climber at the Giro? <laughs> And I didn't have a kind of um, any idea of how hard it was going to be. <laughs> so, you know, the second day I took the jersey um, and I managed to keep it to the end. So I wasn't really interested in the GC. And as the race went on, it kind of turned into we were looking after Eric, Bro- Eric Brooking because he was, you know, and he Phil Anderson kind of fell away. Mm. So we ended up riding for Brooking. And I, you know, every day I do the climbers prize and have no idea where the stage finish was because I didn't care. You know, so... And I found that as the race went on, I wasn't getting dropped from the front group, even though I was doing the sprints for the on the mountains. And I found myself kind of moving up the GC. And then I kind of got involved in the whole Stephen Roach, Roberto Vincentini saga, which developed after Zapata. Um, and I kind of watched that with interest because it was almost a kind of repeat of what had happened between Greg LeMond and Bernardino in 85. When Vin- he, Vincentini had a hell of a temper as well. And Vincentini wasn't really liked because, he, you know, he was seen as this kind of playboy and spoiled and the rest of us were from these kind of working class background. And Vincentini um, wasn't really a very nice person to his colleagues. And it's interesting because um, I can talk with him now and he's a totally different person. Yeah. And he kind of admits that he wasn't a very nice person when he was a rider and... And I understand that because none of us were nice people no. to each other because you can't be. No. So as the kind of race went on in the Vincent and the called Vincentini and Roach thing developed, I kind of became an interesting spectator on in how the 
Tifosi reacted to Roach doing over his teammate. <laughs> so that was quite an experience because <laughs> I'd already seen it with Le Mans and um, Hino. So that was, yeah, that was good to see, you know, when you're sitting there yeah. live and you're watching it happen. And I, di I, hadn't really, I didn't really appreciate, you know, the, some of the spectators spitting and, and throwing stuff on Stephen because I was friend, I was friends with him. And, and that had happened to me at the Vuelta in 85. So I kind of took sides in that story, even basically because nobody liked Vincentini. No. Um, so, but the, the whole GC thing was bizarre because I went through the whole race wondering when I was going to get dropped from the front and it never happened. And then on the last mountain stage, and I was, I'd been really desperate to win a stage because when you go to a Grand Tour and you don't win a stage and you're, and you're riding one of the, um, you know, you're riding a kind of GC race, but I was more interested in winning on a mountain stage because I was the best climber. It came to the last mountain stage and I was kind of hanging there and then Vincentini crashed in, crashed into the back of me and Brooking got dropped and at the end I won the sprint for the for the stage. So I was kind of happy and when we did the, the team debrief that night with Brooking was behind me on GC so I'd moved up to second, Brooking was third and Post said to Brooking in Dutch, that he didn't need to worry he would pass me in a time trial because I was a better yeah. rider than him. That annoyed me because I normally I wouldn't ride the time trial flat out because I didn't really, I wasn't interested in being second or third. It made no difference. But because Post had said that in Dutch to, to Brookink, who was going to become his favoured rider, then I rode the time trial the next day flat out yeah. so that Brookink wouldn't really pass me on, yeah. on GC. More to, more to annoy Post that I finished second. Yeah, yeah. Than, than to, you know, prove anything. Yeah. It was a kind of strange situation and we got a lot of stick because at Panasonic we finished second and third in GC and it always looks a bit bad. You know, it's the kind of thing that happens with Valverde yeah. and Movistar. Yeah. They, they, they never win the race but they're always, you know, there and there's always two of them and Valverde's always the first guy. And it was that kind of, it felt a bit like that situation. <laughs> but, it's, but, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to go to a grand tour and have no real interest in what's happening other than your own little bubble. And that's how I treated the kind of the, the climbers classification. That that was my little protective bubble and I did that. And what happened around about it just didn't really I didn't really take any interest in. And it doesn't sound to me like you felt like you had the support from Peter Post either, from your from your manager. No. From your director sports. I, I was there to, to to work for Phil Anderson. And then it turned out I was there to work for Rake Brooking, which I had no which I had no problem with. But I could have done without the the abuse now and again from Peter Post <laughs> that I wasn't good enough to be there. Did he send you there to punish you in the first place? Was it? Yeah, you felt I was like it was a punishment. To, so I was there as a pu kind of punishment for arguing with him at the, the previous races, which you know, and I had enough character about me to to argue back with him, which apparently wasn't the done thing. So. It was, you know, I wasn't going to let Peter Post trample me. Yeah. But I had enough respect for him, he, you know, as a former writer and, and, and how he ran the team to do my job properly. And I know, and if he said to me, you know, you, I'm going to ask you to ride, you know, the two calls out from the finish, you know, do the tempo for Eric to attack later on, I would have done it. And But he never asked me. He always seemed to be waiting for me to be dropped. And then then he'd have been happy almost, but I was never dropped because I don't know why. Yeah. But it, that's one of those kind of strange things about when you're in a team and there's, a, there's an emerging rider and what the, what the plan was at the start 
turns out not to be the plan yeah. as the race goes on. And you, see, and I don't know if you if you've seen that at Sky with, and with Chris Froome and that whole kind of yeah. There's a difficult kind of transition for you know. There's a balance of power, and you yeah. as you you're there as a kind of established rider, and the new guy comes along, and you can see it happening. And you're kind of slightly annoyed, but you're professional enough to to stick to to the team orders. And you and you see that quite a lot in teams that you know. There's that tension mm. between the new guy who rides, and we've seen it here with Almeida and and Ivanipo. And even though they're both young riders, and there's only one year between them. You get the feeling that de Koenig would rather Ivanipo was taking all the credit, mm. and Almeida now he said he's leaving. Well, if he does well, okay, but it, you know if he doesn't, well, they won't be unhappy. You ever been in a, a similar position, Brad? Yeah, I mean the tour with Froome in that. You know yeah. that was. Um, but um, I also was in that position in two thousand nine. Actually, I went to the tour to help Christian Vanderveld and found myself finishing fourth. Fourth. Christian was struck coming back from an in, an injury from the Giro. He crashed and broke a vertebrae. Um, but he was really encouraging of me to be up there and said, um, if I get dropped, don't wait for me. You know, you stay there. And yeah, he was um, he was great like that. So so you, had, you felt like you had the support of the team leader and therefore yeah. the rest of the team. So exactly. presumably it was, a, it, yeah. it was a lot easier for yeah. you by comparison. Exactly. Some, was, some, sometimes you're given, you get, you know, f f if, the, if the team leader has a kind of human aspect to them. Yeah. They give you the freedom, you know. They 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 don't resent it, and and with certain riders, you know, you you see the younger rider come along, and if they're they're basically a nicer person, you know, they're not they're a nice enough person mm. for you to give them a little bit of freedom and and give them their chance and not hate them for taking that opportunity. Yeah. Mm. All right, we'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show after this. Macca's collective cover is made especially for cyclists. This is bicycle insurance made for everyone, from Grand Tour winners to cyclists hitting the pedals for the first time. Lacquer has transformed traditional insurance with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month, meaning you could pay nothing if nobody claims. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Claims are handled by Lacquer's team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. The Bradley Wiggins Show listeners can get their first 30 days free. Head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Brad, Pippa, big final week ahead. Rest day tomorrow, first of all. Mm. Ineos are going to be enjoying themselves tomorrow. They're in the far and away the best position. Dave Brailsford, Brad. Yeah. He's going to be a happy man. Yeah, I think they're just, um, this is the final week now, isn't it? They're yeah, we've got, what is it, Wednesday on, was it, five days left. One of them's a time trial, four stages. They've got this thing sewn up. They've ridden flawlessly up to now. Bernal's proved he's the strongest rider. I can't really see anyone challenging them, um, barring any injury, crashes, things like that. But um, they, they, this is what they do well, isn't it? I mean, I, can't, I don't even know how many Grand Tours they've won now as a squad, but th I can't see anyone challenging them at this stage. We've got three mountain stages left after that. So Wednesday, Friday and Saturday, uh, We've got two category, category one climbs on Wednesday. If Bernal puts enough space between himself and the rest of the riders on GC there, he's surely just an automatic for, for the rest of the tour. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah you have to wonder how, how, if they're going to be greedy you know, and, and win more stages or try to move Danny Martinez further up the yeah. GC, you know, that's a possibility. That would, that would look really good. Uh, 
you know, but you know, it depends on the weather. And, you know, if I think if the if the bad weather keeps up, they'll ride more defensively. And then if the situation develops that Bernard can go for the stage win, I think they'll take that. But I w- I would think you know they they'll be happy for a couple of days to let the break go away and and see what happens from there. Do you think there's a chance he, uh, that he could stick his hand up now and say I want to do the tour as well? Because Aller asked me this the other day, and I didn't think that it was that that squad was that malleable to change it around. I thought that he would now do the Vuelta and try and win and that G would be given the designated spot for the tour. But I don't know. I, I mean, we I were just I, talking about this rivalry with team leaders. and how to, I don't know it, the, the politics. I mean, you know, you, I, yeah, I know, you know I these riders better than yeah. me. I just think there's a, there's a public statement where Bernal comes out and says, I would like to ride the tour. That puts pressure on the team. And I, just based on his interview today, I wonder if he's now thinking, well, I'm, I'm getting better. I came into this race and there was question marks over his form coming mm. to this race. Does that mean we could see a better burnout at the Tour? I wonder, I wonder. You know, he's like we were saying, he's, there's a, he's a tough nut and uh, it depends how much that in him is going to stretch to, you know, wanting to put his hand up for the Tour as well now. What becomes the strategy then? So does Teo take a step down? I don't down? know. So, so then you ask They've yourself, got that many leaders, haven't they? who are they going to remove mm. from the, the Tour squad and those, the three leaders that they are going to send to the Tour to allow Egan Bernal to take one of their places? You know, so... so and you can't start with four leaders because then you've only got half a team to do the work. You know, so Is he number one replacement if something were to happen, for example, during the Dauphiné? I, I would think, you know, if Dave Brailsford wants to keep some kind of civility between these riders, even if something somebody pulls out from the, t- the current tour team that he's got planned, that Egan Bernal wouldn't be a good fit for that space just because of the, the tension that it would bring to the team. Because then obviously every day it's all who's going to be team leader, and it's bad enough that he goes there with three riders mm. who can, you know, who could be leader. So have they got to be Ineos? Have they got to be careful not to get too greedy in this last week? Well, they'll. It's not that they'll get greedy. I think that they, they'll take the opportunities where they arise, and yeah. they've got the strength to do that. Yeah, I don't think they'll set out on any mad game plans where they're going to try and do a Chris Froome from a few years ago, um, because that doesn't. That's not necessary. But they'll tactically. They won't take risks. Put it that way. Yeah. The only thing that could complicate that is if they're leading the team. Yeah, that's where the team classification gets in the way, isn't the it? The team classification then gets in the way, so then they're covering the break, and then it becomes a, a you know a, a slightly kind of you know you're not allowing the other guys to do the job, you know, and keep themselves in employment and all the rest of it. So you have to be careful about how much respect you have for the other riders, yeah, and the other teams and their setup, you know, and that's one of those things that you know some teams make that mistake they, they dominate whereas it's okay to dominate the GC with one rider but don't crush the race we will watch with interest to see what happens next week that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport brought to you by Zwift where fun is fast thank you Pepper for thank joining you, us thank great you. to have you back Brad thank you, thank you. enjoy your week yeah. we'll see you next Friday, Friday. Uh, we can follow you both on social media Brad at Wigo, Pepper at Pippa York. At Pippa York. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks as ever to Pete Burton, our producer. And finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. Please do rate us, subscribe, and share your thoughts wherever you pod. We're back next Friday, as I said, for the final weekend. Brad, we'll see you then. Yeah, goodbye.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.